Okay, let me get this started. Squeaky chair. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. Uh, kind of changed the program today. Uh, we're broadcasting live on YouTube, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitch, and TikTok today because uh, the guest that was scheduled to, uh, for today, Scott L. Smith, has a migraine and he can't appear. So I decided to go ahead and do our, you know, to read that book by Michelle Zirkel. Uh, now, uh, just to get everything out of the way on this, uh, the book, I have permission. She is the, the writer publisher of the book. So I have full permission to read this book. And uh, it's a really good book. And uh, if you guys like it, tap that screen over on TikTok. Tap that screen. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, uh, which means we can get to you if you think you might have something ghostly or paranormal going on in your house. Uh, We may not be able to get to you right away because California is like this really huge state. But I do have psychics on staff that can call you ahead of time and kind of sort out what's going on. And in most cases, they can they, they can calm things down until we can get out there. Okay. And again, my name is Charlotte. I'm the host. Uh, today's a unique situation in that our guest that we had scheduled, Scott L. Smith, could not be on. Uh, California Haunts uh, radio show to give you guys on TikTok some um, information about who we are. is a regular talk show. We, we broadcast Sunday through um, Friday. And Sundays we read from a paranormal themed book, and like today's book that I'm going to be reading out of, this is based on a true story. Michelle Zirkel, the author, was on the show last year, and this this, this actually happened in her home, and so she decided to write a book about it. So that's what we're going to be reading is, is the book that she decided to write about it. We're up to chapter 15 right now, so that's what's going to happen today. The other thing I want to point out, okay, uh, especially for TikTok, is that there's stuff in here that's explicit. And there's stuff in here that is kind of crime-related because her husband in the book is a police officer. So I will skip over sections because I don't want to get banned. I got banned I got banned on TikTok a couple weeks ago because it was either a copyright thing or it was because of the explicit stuff or because of um, the details of her, of her husband's uh, cases. So we're not going to go – we're not going to read those. I'm just going to allude to what's going on with them, okay? So uh, I'll be reading for an hour. And, you know, it's afternoon, maybe, you know, like especially in California, maybe you're getting off work early or you're having lunch and you just want to listen to a book. Hey, this is the way to do it. Put your feet up and uh, enjoy the read. And uh, I think I think you're going to like this book. It's really starting to get uh, juicy now in that the characters now are at the point where they're calling out priests to do an exorcism on the home. So, um it's getting, it's getting interesting. And a lot of that what's been going on is uh, to give you guys an update on TikTok is the uh, lady in the book, the protagonist, Michelle, right? Uh, she had sat down in front of a mirror. Started, she was having nightmares, got up to do her hair, sat down in front of her bathroom mirror and saw a demon right in, over her body or like it was coming out of her body. Didn't give it a second thought, kind of got scared about it, but didn't give it a second thought. And of course, her husband's a police officer, so he's no nonsense. And she thought he thought she was having nightmares. So then it progressed and water started gushing from the coming down from the ceilings and walls of the house and they couldn't explain it. So that's where we're at right now. And uh, they're, they've had plumbers out, they've had the insurance guys out and all that. And, and, and they can't find anything wrong. One insurance guy suggested that it's paranormal. 
So now she's looking into bringing out a priest and having the house blessed or having the house exercised. But this is based on a true story. So, uh, yeah. So tap that screen. Tap that screen. Show me some love. Uh, same thing over at Facebook and YouTube. If you like what you hear today, please be sure to give me a thumbs up. Throw some hearts my way. Smileys, whatever. Because uh, when you do that, even with TikTok, when, when you do show me love, it ends up going higher in the algorithm based on the likes that I have. And that puts this out there to the public. So I'd really appreciate it if you guys would tap that screen and keep tapping. I'm trying to get a goal of 1,500 likes today. So if you could do that, 1,500 to 2,000 likes for me today while I read, that would be great, you guys. Okay? So anyway, uh, without further ado, this is this, this book is called Rain No Evil by Michelle Zirkel. And, and uh, it's an like I said, it's an interesting book. And I will be skipping certain parts in it so that we don't offend anybody who may be listening on TikTok. All right? So let's get into it. And I'm going to be reading for about an hour. And keep sending those hearts. I see them. Thank you for all the likes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please keep sending those likes through. I really appreciate it. Also, I do have a goal at the top because uh, California Haunts is a nonprofit. And, and uh, all the money I make has to go to um, the radio show and producing everything. And so nothing goes to, to me personally. So I, had to, I do have a goal up there of the hand hearts. So if you guys feel it in your heart, in your hearts. To help me out a little bit with the hand hearts, that would be great. You know, I got a goal of 50 hand hearts, but I mean, I'd be happy. I'd be happy with 10 hand hearts at this point. You know, just to, just to get things going, so I can get my financial stuff going and lined up and start start making a, a little money here. You know, so I could support everything. And to give you an idea, I've been doing this for three years in this format, uh, the video format. But I also was on for, for almost 17 years on Blog Talk Radio, so I've been around the block with this stuff. So if you could keep just tapping that screen, I'd appreciate it. And here we go. We are on chapter 15, Rain No Evil, Mummified Love. And again, I do have permission from the author and publisher to read this book. So here we go. Gotta get my mouse working right. Okay. Before Alex gets his uniform off, a worker comes to the kitchen door with Ben and reports that the commode should flush normally now. The old tank was entirely too small for a family of four and could definitely have caused the commode to back up. Both workers tromped into the half bath behind Alex, Ben, and me to test the theory. When the commode flushes normally, I'm shocked. Ben, you try it, I say. Alex shoots me an eye roll. Like it matters who flushes it, he says. Ben flushes it and water hits the ceiling, setting the workers scattering and Alex dripping wet and speechless. We have $2,000 less in our checking account than we did this morning and still have an unwanted bidet. Knowledge is priceless. If Alex would just listen to me, we'd be less poor. Even a new septic system can't flush a spirit. Since Alex is taking me out to eat, I decide to hold off on showing him the broken globe. I don't want to explain that I feel the demon is responsible for that, too. That would spoil dinner before we even get there. I call Timmy's mom and she tells me to send the boys over. She'll watch them till Alex and I get back. At Cornerstone Quarry, Alex asked for the riverside table by the fireplace that he knows is my favorite. He pulls my chair out for me, and gracefully, more gracefully than usual. He orders a fried calamari, he knows I savor, and asks how I'm handling Diane's death. As I'm telling him Diane's mom is not having a service for her, I mention that she was dating Matt Boggs. Then it dawns on me. What if she didn't actually hurt herself? Okay, we're going to skip over that. All right, we're going to see her. She was dating that punk that I just suspended for the week for insubordination Matt Box. You don't suppose? No, Savannah. No signs of anything. 
Alex says, checking his text. Dive team at Mud River, wrapping it up for tonight. Going to dredge for the going to dredge for the gun again tomorrow. Well, Taze texts very well. Well, well Taze texts various officers, other officers. I noticed an older couple sitting at a booth across from each other. They're talking, not laughing, not smiling or touching, but communicating. And I realize Alex and I will be that couple in 20 or 30 years. Keep tapping that screen, folks. We'll be discussing and discoursing, not enjoying each other's company, just tolerating the choice we made so many years before. That year is right now, this very moment, and the importance of each second suddenly takes my breath away. Kentucky police picked up our suspect in Hank's death, the, ma the mafia dude Hank was buying from. Alex says. Stranahan's heading back to our office to interview him. I'll probably go out and help him tonight. I sip the bit of Chardonnay that's left in my glass and listen to Taze Templeton rambling on about work, even though I'd rather he were holding my hand and looking deep into my eyes without saying a word. I thought the drink and the view would work magic between us, but I feel alone. And I know that I need something more substantial than ambiance, no matter how elegant it might be. Even though Let's see. Okay, let me switch that over. It didn't flip up. We're both avoiding the subject of spirits and water leaks as if neither exists. Alex and I just don't connect any longer. And watching the mummification of a couple across from me, knowing I'm staring at my future, scares the fear of being alone right out of me and onto the barge that's, that's puffing down the river. We pick up the boys from Timmy's, and minutes after we get home, Alex breezes through the basement door, carrying his campaign hat, and announces he's going to the office to help Stranahan interview the suspect. I melted in my bed pillow and propped my swollen foot on ice, resuming a book I haven't picked up for weeks, left to tell. For a whole hour, I read about an 18-year-old girl, immaculate, who recounts an out-of-body experience she had while serendipitously cramming into the bathroom of a preacher's house with eight other women for almost three months during the Rwanda genocide of 1991. Members from the opposing tribe, the Huttists, we're in the bedroom adjacent to the bathroom, brandishing machetes and yelling. Okay, we're going to stop there. Immaculate says her spirit body floated to the ceiling, hovering over her physical body and those of the others holding with her, hiding with her. She saw a glowing cross covering the entire length of the width of the room and knew they were safe. I'm engrossed at Immaculate in, in, in this miraculous escape when I hear Isaac yelling, Mom! I jump out of bed, onto my sore foot, and limp into his room. He's sitting upright and staring past me into the hallway. How'd you do that, Mom? Do what, sweetie pie, I say, just as I hear water spraying in the hallway. You just, you just walked through that guy, he says. Oh, Isaac, I say. What on earth did you see now? A guy in a black robe outside your door. A tall guy, almost as tall as your door. You walked right through him. I peer into the empty hall lit only by moonlight that's streaming through the bathroom window. And I turn back to Isaac, who's still staring and gripping his, his camo comforter around his neck. Now we have a boogeyman in black to add to our list of characters attending the party we seem to be hosting. Honey, I didn't see anyone outside my door. Could you see his face, I asked, hoping he didn't? The poor kid may never sleep again. No, he had a hood on, he said. Heck, sounds like the Green Reaper. Then... How do you know it was a man and not a woman? I just know. Honey, spirits mess with people in the Bible too, but God took care of them and protected them. I hugged my baby. Are eyeball spirits too? Isaac says, scrunching tighter to my chest. I glance around the dimly lit room, wondering if there's a pair staring at me now. 
What do you mean eyeballs? What? Why are you asking that? I saw one, he says. Just one? I ask, wondering if that's if that's scarier than seeing the whole doggone being. Where did you see an eyeball, I say, noticing the shattered globe is still on the shelf? Isaac points to the foot of his bed. Right there. When? Isaac sits frozen in place. Right before I yelled for you. Then you came out of your room and ran through the guy in black. And, Mom, I want out of here. Amid his speculation of my membranes, amid, passing through a dark, permeable creature, I'd forgotten to ask Isaac why he'd yelled for me in the first place. He seems less concerned about the floating eyeball than he was about the dude in the hallway. I might as well keep my sense of humor. I know, God certainly must be laughing. I can hear him saying, Want to question me again, woman? So why one eyeball, not two? I say, attempting to lighten the mood. Isaac jumps out of bed. Mom, I really saw it. I believe you, bud. I do. I just have more questions than answers, I say, stepping into the hall. Isaac's already following me out the door, knowing he will get to sleep with his big brother again tonight. Oh, man, I say, stepping into a puddle on the hall floor. Isaac steps to my left and into another wet spot. He removes his socks and hands them to me, then invades Ben's room as I traipse back into Isaac's and scoop the globe that's still intact, yet shattered atop Mickey's hands into the trash can. I'm not showing Alex. I think it's best to keep our future conversations as spirit-free as possible. I snuggle back into my own bed and look into the night. Tiny flickers of white lights and flashes of blue dancing in the darkness. Bedtime in my house brings out more sprites than All Hallows Eve. I'm wondering if Alex, too, could see this light show, if, if, if he prayed earnestly enough when I hear knocking coming from behind my dresser. I walk over and press my ear to the wall and hear it again. But I am not asking who's there. I may not like the answer. Isaac must be scared to death. I'm not seeing half the weird stuff he is, and I'm freaked out. I say a thank you to God for allowing me to experience the spirit world, even though it's unnerving, and ask him to make my family more enlightened from this ordeal. Be sure to tap that screen over there on TikTok. Tap the screen for me. As I drift off to sleep in my bed alone, I try to imagine how I would feel if I knew Alex was coming back to my bed. Ever. Oh, wasn't coming back to my bed ever. Sorry about that. <coughs> my allergies are really bad. Not that I want something terrible to happen to him. But what if I get the chance to go to sleep every night alone with my thoughts? No one complaining to me about work or the boys or how something wasn't done right. It'd be more peaceful, even though there's more thoughts floating around in my head than there are spirits and water in my house. Seems a curse that I can't sleep in when I'm able to. It's church day, and I don't have to get up until 8. But I'm awake at 7 with a hangover. I consider nuzzling my head against Alex's chest. As... Okay. All right. But he's off to work today and won't appreciate being woken up so early. Not even if my head's spinning like a top. I stretch, my hips dipping into the mattress and my feet spreading. Alice jer Alex jerks, rolling it back towards me. Boy, your feet are like ice, he says, yanking the quilt high into the air, ripping embroidery from the stitches as he tugs it from under my torso. Woke me up. Nice, I think. Might as well get up. Show me some love, you guys. Tap that screen. I'm trying to shoot for 2,000 likes. Tap that screen over there. What time you get in, I say, scooting off the bed. 11, Alex says. After eating breakfast and showering, an unusual quiet 
prompts me to walk into the hall and peer into the bedroom. Alex is still in bed. You're not going to church, I ask? His muffled voice carries a deep carries from deep within the pillow. I'm tired. Oh, okay. My eyes linger on his muscular back. So strong, so rugged, so ready for a fight. Worked my butt off yesterday, like you care. My chin falls towards my chest, but I press on to Ben's room, carrying my makeup bag and chirping, Rise and shine, honey. Bathroom's your, yours first, Ben. I'm going to put my makeup on in here. Your dad's still asleep in our room. I peer into Ben's dresser mirror, a scare in hand, when the whites of my eyeballs turn black like heart glass. I blink, and they're white again. My eyes can't get any bigger as I look into the mirror and inspect my eyeballs to see if the cracks show up again. What's wrong, Ben says, pulling a t-shirt from his drawer. Nothing, I say. I just had something in my eye. No need to frighten him. Sure, he knows I think there's a spirit in the house, but he doesn't know that I saw a demon in my mirror last week. Ben staggers to the shower while Isaac smashes a pillow to his head, and I flip the wand over my lashes. If Ben knew I just saw funky eyeballs in his mirror, he might just think I'm nuts, or he might refuse to sleep in his room. Then where would he and Isaac sleep? Even worse, what would happen if both the boys refused to stay here at the house? Wish Alex would see something, anything, creepy in his mirror. Then he'd believe or go crazy and jump off the bridge, and probably not as smoothly as Ryan did. I wiggle into the navy linen skirt that hugs my hips like I do my office, my, my, my office coffee cup. I scan the shoeboxes that line the walls of my closet, my fingers skipping over the labels of each box that encapsulates a unique mode of travel. The range of possible characters is endless. Alluring vixen, cute curmudgeon, carefree silly head, whoever I'm in the mood to pretend to be today. I snag the top bay pumps. They'll tone down the smog through the skirt, the, the snug through the skirt, that of a refined, desperate housewife. From the closet, I hear beeps throbbing from Alex's alarm, picturing his groggy expression and saggy morning and a saggy back swaying to the beat of the alarm as he staggers to his nightstand makes me grin. The humorous image gets me to giggling as I balance on one foot and attempt to slide a pump onto the other. I topple over, smashing my arm onto a shelf and breaking the fall. A nasty red mark creases my forearm. Serves me right, I guess. As Ben lumbers out of the bathroom, I scramble in, dry my hair. Ten minutes and counting, I beat Isaac to the steps, and we race down the steps to the kitchen. Grab me a protein bar, I yelled at Isaac, as I lean over Ben, who's crouched among a mangle of shoes in the cloak closet, and yank my purse from its hook. Ben huffs. Can't find my other shoe. My hand scoops through my purse for car keys. I know they're in here, dang it. Ben tosses one shoe after the other in the corner of the closet. I know it is, but I can't find it. Oh, I mean my keys, I say, pulling a few pairs of shoes into the pile he started and high salute with the one he's seeking. Ah, the missing mate to your sneaker, matey. Isaac hands me a breakfast bar and asks, where's dad? He's sleeping in today. I open the door and usher their disgruntled faces through. Yes, we are still going. Man, why we gotta go, Isaac whines. Ben adds, yeah, that's not fair. I walk to the car thinking this might be my last trip to church anyway. If Pastor Todd doesn't know how to deal with a bad spirit, how can he be my catalyst for the good spirit I want to foster? He's not an expert, just because he's behind a pulpit. Todd preaches about fruits of the spirit like kindness and generosity. But if these positive qualities are derived from God, then our negative qualities must be too. As I back out of the garage, 
car suddenly drops to the right. The kids and I hop out, looking behind the car to see what I hit. Air is hissing out of my right rear tire. Perfect, I say, bending down and searching the tire and the ground for what I could have run over. I don't see anything. I look at Ben, wondering if he sees a vision of what busted my tire, but he just shrugs. I leave the car parked halfway out of the garage door and route the boys to Alex's truck. It's church or bus. During what may, what, what may be my last church service, I pull off my sweater in the stuffy sanctuary and, and scour the congregation. Missing faces from the crowd bob in and out of view in my mind's eye. There's Barbara Stimson typing, typing less filled letters to the internet romance she now lives with in Nebraska, leaving her ex-husband, Emmett, to raise their two girls. There's Mike and Sharon Whitaker holding hands by the new beachside cottage on Florida's coast where they moved. Sharon's stipulation for staying together when she found out Mike was having an affair. And there's Bo Jones holding a huge lottery-sized check, grinning from ear to bank account after embezzling a few grand from the youth football league. Nice guy. Have these sinners seen their demons in a mirror, too? If they did, did they tell anyone? Have their eyeballs looked cracked? Were their houses possessed as a result of their sins? And were their cries for liberation from evil unheeded? I'm so engrossed in remembering all the members who have marched through these doors and crawled out that I don't hear the sermon. But I do scan the crowd for Logan and don't see him anywhere. The organ pipes croon as the church choir sings. He's calling, oh sinner, come home, come home, come home, come home. A breeze of grace seems to blow my way, and I imagine there is hope for me yet. I close my eyes and petition God to not give up on me, reminding him like he needs reminding that he and I, that he said he is my light and my salvation, and that I can trust in him. A white light flickers in the darkness of my eyelids. Cool. Surely it's not a bad spirit, assuming it is a spirit, after all. Could this be my angel reminding me it's here? White is supposed to be pure. I keep my eyes closed and think how everything probably thinks I'm praying really hard. Everyone, sorry, everyone thinks. As I watch the flashes, I feel I should be pressing buttons like I do to identify lights during my annual eye exam. I want to keep praying and take advantage of all the holiness I'm feeling, but everything's gotten quiet. Looking up, I see the altar call is over and not one person glided down the hallway to heaven to kneel. Darn it. Aren't there any sinners who need saving today? Doesn't matter. If God hadn't already heard my heart's desires, he is never going to. I step into the aisle behind Ben and exit past Pastor Todd, who shakes my hand and slowly shakes my hand slowly and speaking with a matching rhythm says, I'm so sorry that I couldn't help you with that matter. Let me know how it turns out. I say thank you. I could use a few extra prayers and release his hand knowing I won't be back here. The fulfillment I'm seeking is not to be found here and Todd can't help me find it. I'm on my way to the car when I hear, Savannah, wait up. Mrs. Zavitz is clutching the purse on her wrist as she scurries ahead of me and her, as she scurries ahead of her husband and toward me. Oh, can I go to the car, Mom? Isaac says. Yeah, I say to Isaac and handing, and handing the keys to Ben. Whisper, run. Why didn't you tell me you had a spirit in your house, Mrs. Z says. I had to find out from Tina. She said you came to the church office the other morning looking for Todd. My word, Savannah, is it still there? Is that why you've been, well, preoccupied lately? I've held my breath. 
during this entire diatribe, so I suck in as much air from my lungs as I can before I answer. Yes, there's a spirit throwing water around in my house. And so, yes, I've been very busy. I'm only told, I've only told the people that I thought could help. Alex doesn't want everyone to think. To think you're crazy, Mrs. E says. I can imagine. And then that poor Alex. Hey, we're not going to go there. All right. Then that poor Alex doing his job as a police officer. If only she knew. I've got to get going, I say, giving her a quick hug. I really appreciate your concern. See you. Let's see Wednesday, our next day back to school, right? Yes. Maybe you can get some rest, Mrs. E says, walking toward her hubby, who was wise enough to dawdle by the flagpole with his grandson. Back home, Dad's on the porch giving the rocking chair a workout. A box wrapped in pink paper sits beside him on a table with a vase of spunky red daisies. Grandpa's here, the boys screech, scrambling, scrambling to unbuckle their seatbelts and be the first to get a hug, and maybe just maybe the five bucks for showing ambition. It's healthy competition, according to Dad. I trot across the walkway bordered by dwarf Alberta spruce and azalea bushes. I make it to Dad and open my arms wide. Dad, you didn't have to sit out here. Alex is home, isn't he? I didn't knock, just rocked and enjoyed the view. Dad's arms fold around my shoulders and he rubs my back. Ah, oh, my baby, happy birthday again. My hugs are longer than the boys who are ex experts at the wrap and run. I, snug I snuggle into Dad's soft shirt, warming against my cheek and smelling a polo. All is right with the world. A car honks for attention. I throw a hand in the air, not sure to whom I'm waving and not really caring. My grip on dad tightens. The feeling of acceptance in his embrace indel indelibly attaches to my memory. Dad nods towards Lucy's car that's pulling around back. And there's my other baby, dad says. His polished loafers already landing on the step. Let's grab the KFC. It's in my car. If you like what you hear on TikTok, keep tapping that screen. Keep tapping that screen. We're shooting for 15 to 1,600 likes all the way up to 2,000. So please keep tapping that screen. Show me some love. Luce is trailing up the walkway from around back as Dad passes a few KFC bags to me. We still on for Tuesday with Father? Father, what's his name? Nick, I say. Yes, and I hope it works. What works? Luce asks, grasping with a balloon bouquet that's Popping her in the face. A priest is blessing the house tomorrow morning, I say. Hope our goblin leaves. Hi, Dad. Lou spreads the balloons and pecks him on the cheek. Well, the demon's departure would be a better birthday gift than I got you. You get a regift from, re from me, she says. A regift re from Christmas. No less. Wedding's got me broke, she said, her brown eyes sparkling. Lou favors Grandma Lenny with her prominent cheekbones. Grandma loved parties. Wish she was still alive. She'd be saying, Savvy. I hope you have enough candles. They are the flame that wishes are made of. It didn't matter how many candles were required or how big the cake had to be in order to accommodate them. She insisted there was a candle for each year and nothing doing with the candles shaped like numbers. That was cheating. You're broke. I've seen broke since you were in diapers, Dad says. And we are all three walked to the porch with arms loaded. Should have kept the tire business. It was a gold mine. Dad. I can't imagine you being happy wearing any other uniform than that of a police officer, I say, striking a spoon into the tub of coleslaw on the side porch table. The front door slams, and before I can pop the lid off the baked beans, Isaac's armpit deep Isaac's armpits deep into the bucket of chicken, digging for a drumstick, no doubt. Luce, did Jack have to stay at the academy this weekend? I ask. 
Yeah, Luce says. But since he graduates Friday, how about a celebration dinner at Bob Evans that evening? Quick and easy. I nod as Alex struts out the front door. He slaps mashed potatoes onto a heaping plate before sitting in the swing. You outdid yourself, Savvy. Hey, I say smiling, it's my birthday celebration. I shouldn't have to cook. Savvy, my baby sister says, monitoring me and motioning me inside. Girl talk. I slink in the living room behind her as she glances into each corner of the room and whispers, where's the water thing? Ah, I say, smiling. It has a mind of its own. Never know when it's going to spray you. Darn, Luce says, stomping her foot and heading towards the door. Thought it'd be cool to see. But it would be a little creepy. We join the rest of the clan on the porch. As Luce babbles on about her Jamaican honeymoon plans, the boys need to laugh at Dad, who's pretending to pull a chicken wing from his ear. I could sit here forever basking in the humor and easiness, but I might as well get this over with. Alex, I had to drive your truck this morning. My car has a flat tire. I put a chicken breast on my plate, knowing he's going to blame me for the flat, and I'm not going to feel like eating it. Alex pops his jaw to the side, his chest expanding for a possible eruption. Gosh dang it, do you have an idea how, how much tires cost? What'd you run over now? Nothing, just backed out this morning. I noticed it. I say sitting in a chair by Dad, who winks at me. You had to run over something. Dang it, Sav, I have so much to do. Alex pushes off in the swing and hurls and hurls towards us. Cal, can you have her back? Causes me too much work and way too much money. With Dad present, Alex will usually only throw soft jabs at me, saving the spirit amputations for later. But today he's holding nothing back. Dad pats my knee. Well, honey, doggone. You guys have to have, have a you guys have had a steering a horrible string of bad luck. Bad luck? Is that what they call demons and spirits? And jerk husbands nowadays? Alex takes a call from Gilmore while Lucy passes paper plates piled with cake and ice cream to the boys who pull chairs up, forming a circle around Dad. He sucked them into a back in the day story about a poor family who's given a new house, but didn't know how to set the thermostat for the furnace, because they never had one. So they built a fire in the middle of the living room, burning furniture as fuel, and burnt the house down. Ben snorts in cake, and Isaac's spoonful of ice cream is searching for his mouth. Luce, looks, Luce and I look at each other with a gleam of acknowledgement that we've heard this story a few hundred times, and it's funnier every time. No more jokes at the table for you guys. I swear you're going to choke to death one day. I say, biting down a flower of into a biting down to flower of yellow icing. I'm hearing bits of Alex's conversation. Great, he says, doubt his fingerprints. They must have found the gun in the lake. Luce instructs Isaac to smile. She's the only one who can get him to smile in a picture, and cussing is the only way she can do it to get him to do it. Sav, the bridal shop can do our final fitting this week. What day's good? They found the gun, Alex bursts out. The chances of it having a complete fingerprint are about as good as Savvy having a normal brainwave. He erupts in laughter, his body swaying back and forth in the swing like an elephant cheating on a hammock. Amazing. He knows we have brainwaves. To hell with pretending everything is okay and that I'm cool with his malicious remarks. I'm going to say what I want to say. He's going to make fun of me regardless if, I, if my, my brainwaves are vibrating faster than his or not. Cherry that ice cream melts down my throat too quickly and I cough, grabbing the arm of the chair and turn to face my opponent, the source of my love and of my misery. 
keep tapping that screen, please. Keep tapping that screen. How can anyone believe there are waves in our brains since you can't see them, I say? Alex pushes higher. The swing's so close, it's almost hitting my knee. Duh. There's EKGs and MRIs that show brainwaves. True, I say. But I trust people more than machines. And many people, prophets, saints, and scientists alike, believe in spirits. I also trust myself. And I know God told me there's a spirit in this house. Just because you are too close-minded and dense to believe it doesn't make it untrue. Maybe your brainwaves aren't functioning at full capacity. Alex's mouth is open as wide as his arms are spreading, grasping the chains on either side of the swing. He looks like Fred Flintstone with one side of his red face drawn up as he laughs. He must be surprised I'm calling him out in front of Dad, who's picking his teeth intently and grinning. Mom got you, Isaac says, through a mouthful of cake. Good one, Ben says, looking at me like he's never seen me before in his life, and then looking at Alex. Did you say someone found a gun? Alex continues chewing, so I fill him in. There was an unsigned letter in our mailbox yesterday saying that the gun that killed Hank was in the mud run lake. Sounds like they just found it. I hesitate to ask how the interview went last night, but curiosity gets the better of me. Alex, did the mafia link pan out? Alex looks past me to Dad. He's the one that asked the question. The guy's brother is in Kentucky. He's given, he's given him an alibi the night of the murder, so we're deadlocked for now. Dad says, so you think the mafia is involved? Yeah. Because Hank was an informant. He was buying from a member of the local mafia, and if they ever somehow figured it out, they could have whacked him. Okay. Papa, Mom says you had, you had a mafia when you worked. Dad laughs. Well, I didn't exactly have one, but there was an active caller mudsock in the late 70s that was selling guns illegally. When the feds busted it, they found hundreds of thousands of dollars of watertight barrels at the bottom of Butterfly Lake. Cool, Papa, Ben says, looking up from his phone. Hey, guys, I googled about how to lift fingerprints from items in water. Was, what was that, gunmetal? Alex nods. Legs still flapping within inches of mine, but she's swoop of the swing, each upswing his head precariously close to the ceiling. Maybe his hard head would soften, should he bang it. Ben gives his oral Google report. 34 fingerprints were lifted on metal handguns, re, um, retrieved from fresh water. That's out of 72. Sounds like there's about a 50% chance of getting some prints, Dad says. Ben squints. Oh yeah, because 34 is almost half a 70. Back in the 80s, Dad says, the Mudsocks Heights Police Department retrieved a 38 Special from the bottom of the same lake that the Mafia money was found in. The gun had been used in a bank robbery that didn't have anything to do with the Mafia. So you did learn something at school. I thought you just went for the girls, Alex says, disregarding Dad's comment and jabbing Ben with his toe on the upswing. Ben rolls his eyes. So, Dad, I say, how do you know the gun was in Butterfly Lake? You get an anonymous letter like we did? I say finishing off my cake that's soggy from the melted ice cream? No, the robber actually told his friend where he had tossed it. Several months after the murder, the friend was busted for trafficking and ratted out his robber buddy for a lighter sentence. Isaac's gaze was riveted on Dad. Did they electric... Yeah. All right, we're not going to go there. Dad left. Nobody. He was sentenced to 15 years, no probation, but only served two before, before something unfortunate happened during a fight with an inmate. Dad wrangles a strip of chicken from the thighs he's holding. Yep, the universe provided justice.
please keep tapping that screen over on TikTok if you like what you say or like what you hear. Show me some love. I read from this book every Sunday. Every Sunday until we're finished and then we change books. That's what should happen to all these dang stupid people. We shouldn't just let them kill each other. We should just let them kill each other off, Alex says. How to accomplish world peace, taste style, I say. Wondering if he realizes what a, how stupid he really is. The chimes tinkering to the left of Alex's head catches my attention. And I hope the change that's coming comes soon. I silently ask Grandma Lenny to blow those winds of change faster than a polar jet stream so they can reach me before my cells are so fragmented that I no longer recognize myself. Quickly, I turn to Luce. Oh, Luce, about the dresses. How's Wednesday after school? It's been so hectic here. I feel like I've neglected the prize matron, neglected the prize matron, matron of honor status. It's hard to believe the wedding is less than a month away. Perfect, Luce says. And I'll stop and get you. What's Jack training for this weekend, Dad asks, tossing his plate in the trash. Breaking down doors or something, Luce twists a long curl of her finger. No, wait. It's called tactile entry. I'm learning the lingo just like a good teacher I am. As a police officer's wife, Luce is going to learn more than lingo. Jack's more docile than Alex, but that may change once he's on the force for a while. Alex didn't used to be an ogre either. She may learn to defend herself from her husband, who has vowed to protect and serve the public while forgetting to vow to love and cherish her. Okay, chapter 16, so we're moving on. Just a quick reminder to everybody, I have permission from the publisher and, and writer to read this book on, uh, on, on, uh, online, an open forum online, so there's no copyright issues at all. And Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, if you like what you hear, please, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for likes, tap that screen. I'm trying to keep my uh, stuff up in the algorithm. Uh, you know, the higher we go, the more people are going to see us. So for people coming in, please tap that screen. Please tap that screen. I, I would really appreciate it. And the same thing for you guys over there on the other networks. Chapter 16. Man in the Moonlight. As the sun casts an orange glow on the river's horizon, Alex takes a walk to Blue Goose Pond. Alex waves to his haunt. Oh, hang on, somewhere we got lost. Nothing I can do. Alex waves to his honking, adoring public, but practically every step. Oh, I see what happened. You get to see your favorite color peach this morning? Color, I say, knowing that he's referring to Logan, who wasn't even at church. I should tell Alex, I'm certain his text to Bunny Stacy is giving him more than the reading material she sells. But I don't want to explain that reason. Because I know I had a vision of an insect crawling out of his mouth. Yikes. Peach, he says, arms pedaling to stay in one side ahead of me. Funny. Nope. Didn't see Logan. I say feeling an odd sensation that something is wrong. Let me do this. The hair on my arms is sticking up like the needles on a cactus. Something's very wrong. We're about a quarter mile away from the house when my cell rings. Ben's on the line screaming, Mom, a guy's out here. Out back. Hurry. I swivel and run toward the house, yelling back to Alex, who's just standing in the middle of Alpine Road. Someone's at the house. Hurry. Even with my bruised foot, Alex barely beats me back. I hear Alex shouting from inside before I reach the door. I told you to stay inside. Just as I'm about to pull the storm door open, the trio bursts out and pass me, barreling towards the garage where my car is jacked up, still only partially inside the garage. Ben's jammies drag, drag the ground as he shuffles over beside the left rear tire. He was right here. 
Barefoot Isaac chimes in. Yeah, Dad, there was an explosion. Explosion, corrects Ben. Then I looked out the door and yelled, and the guy took off. So you're telling me that the man, some guy dressed in black, came here and slashed his tire as soon as your mother and I left? Puh, Alex shouts, bending to within inches from the tire that has a visible gash. Yes, Ben says, and walks around the corner of the garage, leaving Isaac nodding. Following Ben, I find him staring toward the neighbor's blacktop driveway that winds past the rear of our garage and veers to the left patch of the woods. What are you looking at, honey? I ask. He lives back there, Ben says, staring in the distance. Who? The guy who did this? Yeah, Ben says. I glance around the corner of the garage to see if Alex is coming. How do you know where he lives? Do you know who it was? I don't know who it was, but somehow I know he lives back in those woods. You think it was a real man? Ben locks his eyes on the mine. Look like a burglar, Mom, not a ghost. We should tell your dad, I say hearing a shuffle from behind me. Tell me what, Alex commands. Ben says the guy was dressed like a burglar, I say. Looks like lava could spurt from Alex's eyes any moment. This is ridiculous, all of it. There's no guy. No one would dare come to my house and slash a tire right outside my door. Ben steps away from Alex and stands beside me looking at his slippers. My head feels like like the ball in this verbal tennis match. I have to be the mediator and try to get Alex to at least acknowledge the possibility that Ben's telling the truth. Ben's got no reason to lie, Alex, I say, turning to Ben. Besides, wasn't Isaac with you when you saw this guy? Yeah, Ben says. We were both in the living room, heard this boom, and ran to the side door. Alex slaps his feet on the concrete to within inches of Ben's face. You had to have done it, Ben. Just admit it. You slashed it. Nice guy. Alex is acting like Ben's just slashed someone's throat. Even if he had slashed a tire, Ben deserves to be treated better than this. He's just a kid and a good one at that. But even good kids can go crazy when a madman's in their face. Ben's head seems to rise in slow motion, his words precise and clear. I did not do it, and I will not say that I did. Nudging myself between the two, I turn my back to Alex, my hand cradling Ben's jaw as I look softly into his eyes. Sure, baby. Sure, baby him, Mama, the madman says. And with that, Alex tromps off back to the house, and no doubt to a TV remote that he can control. Isaac tugs on my sleeve and points towards Alpine Road. Just a minute, bud, I say, turning back to Ben. You believe me, Mom, Ben asks? Isaac yanks on my shirt again, whispering, it's him, and pointing. My vision follows Alex's gaze towards Alpine Road, where the only forms I can make out in the twilight are our trash cans waiting for pickup day tomorrow. He just jumped like this. Alex hunches, Alex hunches to all fours and leaps forward like a tiger. Have we all plunged into a pool of insanity? Ben starts towards the road, Isaac and I trailing him. Two trash cans sit undisturbed at the edge of the gravel driveway. Right here, Mom. Isaac squats to the ground and leaps, knocking the can with the missing lid over. Bags, napkins, and water bottles trickling out. Ben yells, That's great, Isaac. Cause more work. It's okay, Isaac, I say, bending over and picking up a cereal box. Roll on the edge, and fighting isn't going to alleviate any of our troubles. Isaac tosses the bag into the can, Ben is set erect. Holding an armful of trash, I smile and drag the boy's gaze to mine. And Ben, I do believe you. I know you didn't slash the tires. Dad doesn't, he says, tossing a piece of box in the can. I dump the load into my arms in the trash. I, in my arms of trash. 
I really think he knows you wouldn't do it. He just doesn't want to believe that someone would be brave enough to vandalize a car on his own property. To your dad, it's easier to blame you rather than admit he's vulnerable. I lay a hand on each boy's shoulder, and I think it's important that you both keep in mind that God did speak to me, and I do believe what he said. There was an evil spirit here. I'm not saying it's responsible for the tire, but I wouldn't rule it out either. The white of Isaac's Okay, the white of Isaac's has overtaken his face, and Ben's eyes are rolling back in his head. Huh, I don't know what that means. I want my boys to be open-minded, not hard-headed like Alex. I squeeze their shoulders. I'm not crazy, and I'm not trying to scare you. I just want you to understand that sometimes we can't understand things that happen. And it's okay to admit that you just don't know everything. Well, Cole's coming over to lift with me since there's no school tomorrow, Ben says. Isaac scrunches up the sleeve on his t-shirt and rubs his flexed bicep. Me too, Ben protests. Mom, does Isaac have to? Ben, we just talked about getting along, I say. The boys head to the garage wait room while I enter the house to brave the storm raging inside. Alex is eating leftovers, so I slip upstairs to write an entry in my journal. Okay, all right, moving on. Minutes later, I'm trying to skirt through the kitchen and into the basement without Alex hearing me from his spot on the couch when a shrill scream penetrates the room. It seems to come from outside. I open the side door and see Ben, broom raised over his head, racing out of the weight room and rounding the corner of the garage. He's heading in the direction of the driveway that connects to our neighbors up the hill, the same direction he indicated that the man who, bu who bu busted the tire lives. I hobble behind him, watching his silhouette gallop up the driveway in the dusk until I can no longer make it out. I stop. He's way too fast for me. Moments later, I hear a crash, and Ben appears in the shadows facing me. What is it, I huff? He was here, Mom, Ben says, his voice closing in on me. The guy who slashed the tire. I was setting up for a deadlift, and I knew he was out by the bushes. I grabbed the broom, and oh my God, Mom, he's tall, taller than the bushes and fast. I couldn't even come close to catching him. I'm taking short, short sips of air, even though I wasn't in full throttle. I look behind me, expecting Alex to be behind us. He must have heard the scream, too. But all I see is headlights from the cars and, in the background, a light from a barge shining on the river. Did you have a vision of him out here, like, like with the nail on the truck tire? No, I just knew. It was like I felt him. He had, he had on all black, like a burglar in a cartoon, and even had on a black face mask. Ben extends the broom handle. Sorry I broke it. I tried to hit him with the broom, and it hit the pavement. Something rustles behind me and I jerk around. Isaac is shuffling along in the grass. Did you see the guy in black, I ask? Isaac presses his chin close to me. No. You mean the guy came back? I just, I just, I just heard Ben yell and thought he was messing with Cole. Is Cole here, I ask? Not yet, Ben says, but he's supposed to be any minute. Isaac might be, might be confronted and know that his brother's newfounded set of Isaac's might be comforted. Okay, Isaac's might be Isaac might be comforted to know about his brother's newfound set of skills. Ben, tell Isaac how you knew the guy was back. I say. No, you can. Ben says, twirling the broom handle like a baton. Isaac looks up at me. Your brother just knew. He has a gift of intuition. It's kind of like the gift you have, seeing lights that not everyone can see. You mean Isaac sees lights? That's why he always has to sleep with me. Ben says. That's cool we both have gifts, Ben, Isaac says, stepping so close to me his shoe is touching mine. 
A car pulls in as the boys and I reach the carport. Cole jumps out of the passenger side and his mom waves at me and waves me over to the car. Savannah, it's been crazy here from what Cole's told me. Anything I can do to help? No, just letting Cole keep Ben company under the circumstances is gracious of you. I say, stepping to the open window of the driver's side door. I don't know what old Cole told you, but a lot of people wouldn't let their kids stay in a haunted house. I fake a laugh. Cole told me you have a spirit in your house that's throwing water around inside. It's like the house is crying, she says, snarling. But he's not scared. He actually thinks it's pretty cool. That's the only kind of ghost I would let in. A cool one, I say, as she backs down the drive. I turn to head inside, knowing that not just any spirit is throwing the water. It's a demon. A movement in the neighbor's backyard by Lazy Dog's house catches my attention. A tall figure bending down toward the hound. I glance in the garage where Isaac is curling a dumbbell. That means it's either Alex or a burglar. I punch Ben's shoulder and point to the backyard. Ben takes a step, but I grab Ben's arm and shake my head. Cole is holding his gym bag and gawking at the mysterious figure only 500 feet from us. The figure stands erect for a second and then takes off running up the hill. I attempt to tighten my grip on Ben, but he's already slipped out of my grasp and is dashing past Lazy in hot pursuit. Dear Lord. I run inside yelling, Alex, the guy's back. Ben just took off after him. What? Alex says, hopping off the couch. He grabs his cruiser key and, and gun from the, from the fridge top and heads out the door. Which way? I point towards the neighbors, up the hill. Alex hops in his cruiser, activating the mega bright spotlight and pulls up the neighbor's drive. The roving light pans across the, the houses bordering the hillside and eliminates the trees and casts, casts shadows across the, uh, the lawns. Cole is still standing, holding his bag with the Statue of Liberty, holding the torch as Isaac huffs in from the garage. Is Dad out looking for him? Awesome, Isaac says, making a mad dash towards the action. Isaac, get back over here now, I say and turn to Cole. You saw the guy, right? Yeah, I sure did. He was tall, Cole says. My old house in Coraltown had a ghost. It knocked things off my dresser and threw things at me. One time in the music, one time the music on my radio stopped playing and a voice growled, get out. I slept in my brother's room until we moved three months later. It growled at you, I say, wondering if the spirit that's infesting my house could follow me, say, when I'm at Ryan's or Joe's. If so, maybe the growling I've been hearing has been coming from the demon. Yes, Cole says, setting his bag on the ground. Did it growl just, just that one time? I asked, picturing a twisted evil grin on the creature that could have followed me to my, loves, to my lovers. It probably watched as we were busy. The thought makes my skin feel like I'm taking a bath in red ants. Well, no, actually, I would hear growls like as if it was just as if I was just doing my homework or playing Xbox. But I just thought I was hearing things. How do you know it wasn't your imagination? I asked. When we moved, he says, I stopped hearing it. Isaac steps into the yard and watches Alex's searchlight sweep the area behind our house. Gosh, and I thought it was crazy here. It threw stuff at your mom, too? At my whole family. Once it threw a salt shaker. It hit the wall. Mom was glad it was empty. She never put salt in that again. I bet. Maybe she should have made a circle with the salt. Why is that, Cole says, turning to watch the cruiser creep past us and on the main road, the bright light leading the way, telescoping through the subdivisions to the north of our house like a beacon in the night. Old wives' tale that salt protects against evil. Hey, that's what I need, a ton of salt. I could encircle this whole property. Ben comes panting from, from around the garage. Man, that guy is fast. I chased him all the way to the church. He says, eyes tracing the light panning across the sky. That's that spot, spotlight? 
I need, I know that Isaac joins in the joins our circle. He'll never find him. He's living in the woods, Ben says. When you say living there, do you mean like camping there? I say. All I know is he's living there. He's there all the time. I don't know how I know this stuff, but I do. It's weird, Ben says, studying Cole's face. Like he's expecting him to be freaked out. But Cole's face is as placid as the still, still before a storm. A wave of light floats over the front yard and up the drive. Alex is home. He jumps out of the cruiser and unlaced tennis shoes and plaid boxers. And the boys all snicker. You wore that in your cruiser, Isaac says. If Alex had made an arrest in that getup, the neighbors would have been talking about the crazy Templetons. We'll be as iconic for being oddballs as the Adams family. Alex slams the cruiser door, stomps into our circle, and points a key at each kid as if to, as if to emphasize he wants to hear individual reports. Did you all see the guy? What did he look like? I did, Cole says. He was tall and had on old black. I couldn't tell much else because it was dark. He was too fast for me, Dad. He ran like, a, like the bionic man. Ben smacks his hands together, skimming them one across the other. Alex pokes a key towards Isaac. What about you? Yeah. When he was in front by the trash cans, Isaac says. Trash cans? Alex glances towards the road. Yeah, Dad. He jumped like a cat, Isaac says, demonstrating. Bull crap, Alex says. About 30 minutes later, I'm in my room praying for the end of this trial that must be the trial by fire, or in our case, a trial by water. When Isaac yells from the bathroom, I find him staring towards the wall from a tub full of bubbles. Okay, hang on, or not. Yeah, go. Huh, okay. Somehow, it's not moving. So let me see what's going on here. I need to change. Oh, here it is. Oh, wow, it's not going anywhere. Just hang on, let me see what's going on here. There we go. Nope, it's not moving. I wonder what's going on. Yeah, it stopped. Okay, guys, I'm going to open this back up. Just hang loose for a second. For some reason, it's not moving. I don't know why. So let me go back into Amazon and grab this and find out why it stopped. Find out what's going on. Let's go back. I should put me back in. don't know why it's not advancing. Me and where I left off. Okay. 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 What I ask, but he says nothing. Isaac, what's wrong? How'd she do that? He responds as if in a trance. I scan the empty room. Who? That girl with blonde hair, Isaac says, turning towards the window. What girl, honey? He shakes his head, saying, She ran right out of the wall. I'm not sure whether to keep asking him questions or tell him to finish his bath. If we keep talking about the spooky stuff, none of us are getting, going to get any sleep. But I'm curious about our newest visitor. And probably too much has already happened to get any sleep anyway. Did she scare you? No, he answers, still staring at the thin air. But how did she run with no legs? She didn't have any legs, I say, leaning against the sink top? No, she had like a tail, he replies. Uh-oh. Swooping his hand like a roller coaster rolls. It was swirled up. I keep probing. Was she touching the floor? Nope. I picture a mermaid. They go with the whole water theme we have been going on at our indoor waterworks show. She kind of floated, I ask. 
Isaac snaps his head my way like a turtle. Yeah, Mom, that's it, floated. Isaac's words are like a puzzle I'm trying to de decode. How do you know she had blonde hair if you could see through her? It was blonde on the top, he says, touching his, straight, his straightened hand to his ear. And the bottom part, I could see through. He gets a faraway look in his eyes. I could see through the whole rest of her body. How do you think, how old do you think she was? Was she a little girl or older than mommy? Not as old as you. She was older than Ben, like 20. The priest is coming next week to make all this stop, I say, hoping he can. I'm on my hands and knees reaching for the totes of summer clothes under the bed when a splatter rips across the ceiling straight above the center of the bed as if it cut it in two. I scoop up my journal and descend into the living room, into the only room in the house more private than my closet, the laundry room, where no one except me ever darkens the door because if anything with balls enters, they are never heard from again. With the exception of the hum of the dryer, it's quiet, a shrine of peace. Sitting Indian style on a pile of dirty convenience, I pour words into the paper, words I'd like to let flow into Alex's ears. But his are corked, tighter than a bottle of Henri Jair. Okay, I'm going to stop there because we're going to wrap up in about four minutes. That leaves us at chapter 17, and uh, I want to thank everybody for coming today. I'm sorry uh, <clears throat> for my Facebook group, and, all, and everybody, I'm sorry that uh, the guests didn't make it. Uh, hopefully, I'll, I can make it up to you guys at a later date, and I'm trying to get him back on for next week. I'll see you guys on TikTok on Sunday, and that'll be for our reading from chapter 17 on for this book, Rain of Evil. I hope you liked it. I, I hope you liked it. And uh, if you did like it, shoot me some likes. You know, if you're still there, tap that screen for likes. And uh, I'd really appreciate it. I really would. And if you're watching from Facebook or any place like that, be sure to do the thumbs up. And, uh, you know, happy faces and all that good stuff. So, uh, I want, again, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight and uh, today. And I appreciate it. Tomorrow's show, which will be on our YouTube channel for those of you over on TikTok that are interested in watching. Uh, that's going to be YouTube dot com forward slash at california haunts radio it's going to be ralph ellis uh it's going to be in a, in a, a profile of mary magdalene and i think you're going to find that there's some information in there that nobody knew about right so i think you're going to find that interesting that'll be tomorrow 6 30 p.m pacific and uh, i'll see you guys there in the meantime tiktok thank you very much i'm going to close out of tiktok and we're good and now that i close out of tiktok Cool. Wow. Whew. Just looking at the numbers. And now that I close out TikTok, I'm going to say goodnight to everybody here. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with Ralph Ellis. Have a great rest of your day.
you guys later.